continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're, today we're on Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, the scripture passage in your bulletin is actually the one from last week, so we're going to instead read the one that's on the wall behind me. And as we've been doing for the last six months, we're going to read this out loud in unison together so that we hide God's word in our hearts. So if you will join me as we read this out loud. Ready? Three, two, one, go. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink, take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Would you join me in prayer? <coughs> Father, we pray that you would t open our hearts as we open your word. Father, there's nothing like your word. We pray, Father, these are heavy words for us this morning. Pray, Father, that you would meet us by your power. Or we pray that as we leave this place today, we would go away saying, surely we have been with the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't know if... You had this temptation, but as we read through the first part of that passage, I know that some of you know the song by the birds. 
uh, turn, turn, turn. So like every line you want to sort of, as we go, there's a time to, to embrace. You're like, turn, turn, turn. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're really young and uh, out of it. Um, but this is one of the most well-known passages in all of the Old Testament. In fact, you'll find this passage is read more than any other passage at the funerals of people who are not Christians than anything else in the Old Testament. So it's, it's incredibly well-known. I think it's also incredibly misunderstood, but it's also incredibly timely for us. Because if there is one thing that we don't have enough of, it's time. I know if I went around and asked you, if you could add two more hours in the day or 5% more to your paycheck, which would you choose? Most people would choose, I want more time. I am running. I never have enough time to do the things I want to do, to spend time with the people I care about, to give myself to the things that are really important to me. I, don't we feel really out of time all the time? And, and you notice in our culture, we even talk about time in monetary terms. We talk about spending time. We talk about wasting time. We, we view time as a scarce commodity. I had a friend who'd gone uh, over to Ethiopia on a mission trip, and he came back with this conversation that he shared with me. He said, you know, it's interesting, one of the Ethiopian men we were, I was interacting with was noticing my watch and was admiring my watch. He said, you know, you Americans, you have the watch, but Ethiopians, we have the time. We're world-renowned for being busy. I ask you how you're doing right now. Almost all of you give the same answer busy. It's just such a busy season. And you know, that's what you said about the last one, and the one before that, and the one before that, and that's what you're going to be saying three months from now. It seems like it's always a busy season. I'm so busy is, I think, more than a statement about our time. I think in some ways we equate that with a badge of honor. Like, I'm, I'm doing important things. I have a lot to do. I'm just stacked right now. And, you know, it makes us feel necessary and important. But listen to this. This is from his book, The Busy Trap. An author named Tim Kreider writes this. He says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy. If you're completely booked, if you're in demand every hour of the day. And then here's the kicker. That's what he says. Um, I can't help but wonder whether all this exhaustion isn't a way of covering up the fact that most of what we do doesn't matter. I mean, aren't you like, ugh, it's like getting punched in the gut. And a little, you know, aren't we afraid of that? We're so busy, but is what we do doesn't matter. You know, as we, we turn this morning to Ecclesiastes 3, we need to hear a fresh word about time from Kohelet, from the teacher who has wisdom to share about how we view our time. So we're going to look at this under three headings really quickly. Discerning the Lord, discerning the times, and enjoying your life. So let's look at this together. Discerning the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3 gives us this really strange, this enigmatic statement. Did you hear this in verse 11? Where the teacher says, He has put eternity into men's hearts. God has put eternity into into us. We are hardwired to think of, to view our lives, to have desires that are eternal. 
desires. This is why I think our songs are filled with words about a love that will last forever. This is why we have children's stories that all end with the same refrain, they lived happily ever after, right? Like we have this, this should go on forever and it should be great and eternity is built into us um, that we should have a love that will never ever end. And here's the kicker. We have eternity in our hearts and yet we are stuck in time. I want you to try this exercise this week. Just try to have a conversation with someone who's a friend, somebody close to you, someone who cares a lot about you, and try to have a conversation about your longings, your desires, or your fears without talking about time. You can't do it. All of our, the way we think, the way, the way we uh, imagine ourselves and understand our lives is time-based. It's framed by time. And do, do you see what the collision course is here? So if we have eternity in our hearts and you have a short runway for those eternal desires, those longings, that sense of like, this should be forever, that is a collision course. That is, that is rife with frustration. And this is what the teacher is showing us. Like, you have eternity in your hearts, and yet there's a season for everything. There's a time. We live in time. And this means for us, very simply, time becomes your enemy. Time becomes your enemy. Like, this is something you fight against. And I find that we're, we, we have kind of two tendencies as people, and no one's neatly one or the other. Everybody's both. But some of us are more future-oriented, and some of us are more past-oriented. So let me give examples about how both view time as an enemy. So the more future-oriented of us view time as in uh, the future as an enemy to be conquered. So you have... Uh, your planner. You know what's coming down the pike. You have a, a to-do list, and you have lists of your to-do lists, and you have planned out your future. You know what's coming. You're good at multitasking because time is to be conquered. You got to fill it up. You got to get ahead, right? And yet, who feels like they're winning that battle? Don't we always get caught by stuff, and we're like, oh, I double scheduled. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I'm running out of time. Like the future oriented to us, uh, of us are like, time is an enemy, is an enemy to be conquered. Others of us, or maybe the same group, and another way we see this battle with time in the future oriented is we worry. Worry is, is meditating on the future that you can't control. So you're anxious, you're projecting, you're thinking ahead, you're um, anticipating that conversation, that conflict, that event. And it's, time is an enemy. It's going to bring stuff on you that you are not prepared for. Also, for those of us who are more past-oriented, time is also an enemy. You know, you, you go to your high school reunion, and you look around, and the people who were in school with you that you thought, I'm going to be way ahead of them, you seem to just be behind in life. You, you look at your life, and you're filled with regret. You have weight. You look at, and you're like, I have these wasted years. What was I doing? Why am I not where I thought I was going to be? You know, one of the writers who most captures the ecclesiasticness of our current moment is Cormac McCarthy. He's written a bunch of westerns and a couple of futuristic um, books. And in, his, in No Country for Old Men, in both the movie and the book version of this, there's this conversation that happens between the sheriff, Ed Tom Bell, and his older mentor, Ellis. 
Ellis is retired, and, he, and the sheriff goes to visit him, and they're sort of complaining together, complaining about the way the world is becoming more violent, complaining about things that just didn't work out. And this is what uh, Ellis tells him. He says this, All the time you spent trying to get back what's been took for, from you, more's just going on out the door. After a while, you got to just try and get a tourniquet on it. Now, you know what a tourniquet is? A tourniquet is a bandage that you put on, on a, a, a very severe injury to keep from complete blood loss. So you get, this is before you get amputated, put a tourniquet on, on your arm. Like, really serious, but it's the sense that, like, everything's just flowing out. You got to put a tourniquet on it. And don't we feel that way about life sometimes? We're just bleeding out. It's just going, I can't even get it back. All, you know, all this time, you're trying to, you've been trying to get back what's been took from you, more is going out the door. You just hope you can get a tourniquet on it. But see, the teacher is showing this for a purpose. Remember, he's not just coming as a cynic. He's got a point. And this is what the point of this is. He's showing us this collision. Eternity in our hearts, limited runway. Eternal desires, and yet we're stuck in time. So what do we do with that frustration? What do we do with time as an enemy? And this is what he says, verse 14. This is where he's taking us. I perceive that whatever God does endure forever, nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. What an odd statement, that people would fear before him. That word in the Old Testament has the connotations of reverence. God is the God of time. God has all times in his hands. And this, this is what he's saying. Like, if this is a way of wisdom, if you begin to see that eternity on our hearts, limited runway should bring you to your knees before the God who has all things in his hands, who is the God of all time. Now, this is the key of wisdom, discerning the Lord, the discerning the Lord of time. Like, do you see God is in charge of all things? Does it humble you? Does it make you wake up? Does it make you look at your life and examine how you've been living? Does it make you think? That's where Kohela takes us, the teacher. And as we've been doing throughout this series, Kohela, the teacher keeps asking the questions, but we find the rabbi gives us the answers. And Rabbi Jesus takes it even a step further because he's, he's not just saying, hey, there's a Lord of time. You should go deal with the Lord of time. Instead, in John chapter 8, there's this weird conversation about time. Jesus is being confronted by the Jewish people who are trying to figure out who he is and what he's about. This is what they say to him. They ask the question. He says to them, first, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. They're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, They ask the question, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Why do you, who do you make yourselves out to be? Jesus answers, your father Abraham, 2,000 years ago, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He was, he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they pick up rocks to try to kill him for saying that. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying. He is not simply saying, I'm over 2,000 years old. He's not simply saying before Abraham was, I was, I'm older than him, which would have been a mind blower for them at that moment, right? That would have been odd. He's in, instead, he is invoking the Old Testament revealed name for God, the name that God, 
who appeared in a burning bush before Moses, 1,500 years before Jesus, God reveals himself. And Moses is like, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. My name is Yahweh. I am I'm non-created. I'm uncaused. I am the prime mover of all things. He's got this timeless name. And here Jesus, this is why the Jews wanted to kill him. And why we, we listen to this, we're like, I wonder why they picked up rocks. Because Jesus is making this statement before Abraham was, I am. This is the greatest of all the I am statements of the Bible. There are other ones like, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. Uh, I'm the light of the world. But this one is not about what he does. This is about who Jesus is. Now, if the, the cults ever come to your door and say, hey, you know what? Uh, Jesus never claimed to be God. He, this is as bold and as big as it gets. Jesus says, I am that I am. That's why the Jews tried to kill him. If he was just saying, I've been around for a while, they wouldn't have tried to kill him. But he's saying, I am uncreated, uncaused, the prime mover of all things. And this is what, where the rabbi responds to what the teacher says. Because the teacher says, hey, deal with the Lord of the universe. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the universe, and I stepped into your time. I am the Lord of all time who comes into your time. And this is, this is bizarre. Like, look, here's the universal human condition, right? Frustration, eternal desires, limited time. Time is enemy. And if you are not a Christian, this is what your life will be. It will always be subject to that frustration. It will always be about, like, I never have enough time to do the things I want. Your desires for this life, you will die full of regrets, full of lost causes, full of things that you didn't get to. Um, time is your enemy. But look, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of all time has stepped into time for you and therefore says you know what eternity is not just in your hearts it's on your calendar you will live forever with me now let me show you this this uh slide let's look at this real quick this is a slide of uh put together by an evolutionary scientist about kind of the age of our planet okay this is the, the talk about the age of our planet how old is it and where if you look at this as a big clock where did human life appear if you set our entire planet's life on a big circle, on a big timetable right here. So I'm going to read this for you just so you know, okay? You start right here, formation of Earth, meteorite bombardment till 3 a.m., or origin of life, oldest fossils, abundant banded life, uh, iron formations, single-celled allergy, uh, algae, thank you for that, yeah, uh, sexual reproduction, seaweeds, jellyfish, Trilobites, land plants, coal swamps, dinosaurs, mammals, and humans. So if you set our planet's history, according to evolutionary scientists, on a clock, we appear at 11.58 and 43 seconds p.m. The last 1 minute and 12 seconds of all of this planet's history. Kind of mind-boggling, right? Now, I don't know about that. I'm just going to say that. I don't know about that, but I know about this. I'm going to flip this illustration on its head. I want to flip this illustration on its head. Because I do know every bit about this. Let's work it backwards. Let's say this is all of human life right here. Let's say that you're 78 years on this planet. You're 81 years on this planet. You're 92 years, you're 71 years, you're 65 years. Whatever the number is that God knows that you don't know. In the light of all eternity, that 78 years is going to seem something like 
one minute and 12 seconds. And this is what your life looks forward to if you're an eternal being. Like, you're just getting started. You are just getting started. And there will come a point in eternity when you're like, that one minute and 12 seconds, 78 years, man, that is nothing compared to an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, doesn't that kind of blow your gasket this morning? Like, that doesn't even make sense. I, I have a hard time even understanding the concept of eternity. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, eternity is not just in your hearts, it's on your calendar. It is on your calendar. You have forever with the Lord. Forever with the Lord. Can you discern the Lord? Do you discern the Lord in your time? The Lord of time. The one who stepped into time for you. Second, let's discern the time. Second point. Listen to the poem that we read here in verses 1 through 7. Uh, it's, it's an interesting piece of it's classic Hebrew poetry. Now, um, sorry to remind you of this. You had this in English class in high school, or you will. Okay, some of you. So, English class in high school, you learn about English, you know, poetry in our language, which is characterized a lot of times by rhyme and meter. Now, not all of it is, but those are two of the classic picture, uh, parts of English poetry. Hebrew poetry, very different. Hebrew poetry is characterized by balance and repetition. And so you get this in this poem. It's a perfect example of Hebrew poetry. There's a time to kill. There's a time uh, to save. There's a time to gather stones. There's a time to cast stones. There's time to, to plant. There's time for, for reaping. You know, all this kind of balance back and forth. And a lot of people have looked at this and said, this seems to be saying that there are two kind of general things going on in life. There are disquiets, things that make you upset, and there are delights. Right? There, there's the good and the bad. And in life, there's a season for both. And the main point, I mean, just really, really simple. Didn't didn't have to go to seminary for this one. The main point of that poem is, can you tell the time? Can you discern the time? There are times that are appropriate to all those things. Remember, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book in the Bible. A wisdom book is not a book of commandments. This is do this, don't do this, do this. Wisdom is about how to live rightly. It means knowing what is the right thing to do at the right time. Okay, so those of you who have kids or have worked in our kids' classes, you know this, that you have to tell kids. They're immature. There's a time to burp. There's a time not to burp, right? Like, like, I mean, there's a time and a place for picking your nose. There's a time and a place for not picking your nose. And there's never a time and a place for eating it, right? Like, that, those are the things, uh, immaturity, like... Here's, here's the point. Okay, wisdom is knowing the right time for the right thing. So the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. That's what wisdom is. See, commandments are about right and wrong. Wisdom is about the right thing at the right time. If it's the wrong time, it's the wrong thing. This concept then means time is to be discerned. It's to be asked, like, what time is it? What is time for? What is this about? You, and, and see, if you're a Christian, remember, time is not your enemy anymore. It's something to be discerned. It's something to be understood. We see this over and over in the life of Jesus. One of the things, if you go back and you read this afternoon, you went back and read the Gospels, you would find about Jesus is Jesus is never in a hurry. I mean, everybody else, you see this in the Gospels, seems to think Jesus is running late. And he's like, nope. Not, not running late. This is exactly the time that I'm meant to be here. 
right? This is, I had purpose for every moment. Jesus discerns the time. Jesus kept his own time. Jesus is always on time because he discerned the time. Let me show you this. This is repeated over and over in the Gospels in the way he talks. So John chapter 2, preached on this briefly a couple weeks ago. Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. His mom comes to him. Hey, would you do something about the wine running out? He says, woman, this is not my time. Then in John chapter 4, the, the Samaritan woman, they're having this conversation. She said, he says, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain or in Jerusalem, but the hour is coming and is now here. Again, talking about time. Uh, John 5, to the Jews, verily, truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Jesus to the Jews in John 7, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. People are like scratching their heads. Uh, John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And um, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? My Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason I have come to this hour. See, Jesus is always saying, not time yet, right time. No, not that time. It's not my hour. Yes, this is my hour. Like, do you hear him going back and forth with his words? You can over and over the Gospels making these statements. And Jesus tells us that this is actually part of discipleship too. Over and over in his teaching, he said, you need to be able to understand the time. You've got to be able to tell time. Uh, the bridesmaids, get your, get your lamps ready because the groom is coming. Servants, you need to be ready for when the feast starts. He tells his disciples, don't you know, you, know, you guys know how to tell the weather. You can walk outside and say it's raining or snowing, but you can't tell the time. What is his rebuke? He says, this is part of discipleship, being able to discern the time. Now, helpfully in Greek, there are two words for time. We have one in English, but there are two words, chronos and kairos. Let me explain what both these. You don't have to remember the names, but I want you to remember the concepts. Chronos is the, the type of time we think about all the time. What appears on your calendar? Hours, days, months, weeks, years, seasons, right? Like that's how you schedule. That's what appears in your calendar. It's where we get our word chronicle from or chronology or we get, a, you know, we get um, the word chronic. It's the time of the clock and the calendar. And it is, a it is time that is always marching on. It is, there's never enough of it. It's the, I'm too busy. It's the, like, I'm always kind of behind with this. Kronos, actually the word comes from uh, a name for a minor deity in the Greek pantheon of gods. There's this minor deity who was famous for um, being this old man who's gobbling up his children. In fact, there are a couple of paintings of this that I couldn't put on the screen because they're a little bit too graphic for us for this morning. And one is by uh, Fran Francisca Goya, and it shows this wild-eyed man with his mouth open and a bloody stump of a person he's shoving in his mouth. Another is by Peter Paul Rubens, and it shows him, his son is in his arms, and he's leaning over to bite the child's chest, tear it open, and the son is like looking back in agony. And it's a picture of what time chronos time is like it's always gobbling it's always consuming there's never enough enough of it and if you live only by chronos time you are going to be exhausted you're going to be filled with regrets and life is going to be driven for you but there's another kind of time this is a word that jesus uses a lot john 7 lots of other places 
kairos. This is time as gift. Time as opportunity. Time as season. Time pregnant with purpose. Uh, this is, as we read here, uh, to everything there is a time. There is a season. It's not asking the question, what time is it? But what is time for? What is this time for? What is it for? When Jesus discerned kairos from chronos, he was demonstrating that time is not an enemy for the Christian. It's to be figured out. It's to be discerned. And to discern the time is for Christians to live wise, ready, unhurried lives with God. Wise, unhurried lives with God before him. See, what that means is to be a follower of Jesus means to start to ask more questions, to discern the times, to say, you know, this day, this hour, this moment, each is ripe for something. Play or work or sleep, being with someone, each moment, what do we read here? He makes everything beautiful and it's time. God has all the time. If you're a follower of Christ, he has given you this time. Do you know what to do with it? I'll give you a couple of suggestions here for how do you discern the right time. Kronos versus Kairos. Three things here. One is you make plans with open hands. Doesn't mean you throw out your calendar, right? You don't throw out your calendar this afternoon, but you make plans with open hands. Did you, did you hear what we read from Ecclesiastes 9? Man does not know his time. Like a fish taken in a net, like birds caught in a snare, children of men are snared in evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Look, you don't know. You don't know your days. You have no idea. God knows your number. Like, how many years do you have? How many days do you have? He knows, he knows exactly down to the second. You know, do you, do you make plans with open hands? Are you open to God's disruptions in your life? knowing that even God's disruptions are better than your intentions. So look, this isn't a call, everybody go, sell your house, buy a van, and become a dirtbagger, right? Not, <clears throat> not throw out all time. But it's, it's, it's this, are you open? Are you driven by chronos time, or are you open to his disruptions? Brennan Manning, Brennan Manning wrote this, he said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important, so urgent, that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they're doing God a service, but this is actually disdaining God's crooked but straight path. It is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform service, and we don't assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but we allow it to be arranged by God. Are you open to his disruptions? Are you planning with open hands? Second, second way to live this out, you waste time in wise ways. You learn to waste time in wise ways. Man, we raise our kids in this country to be um, efficient, productive. Let's get stuff done. You know, that you get your homework done. That you go to soccer practice. Do we, did you do all the things? But are we teaching our kids and are we living ourselves where we waste time in the right ways? Gustavo Gutierrez writes this. He says, The Christian life must include useless, wasted time for spirituality. P. 
Periods in which we have no other agenda except for just to be with God. I mean, what a waste, right? What a waste. Ditto for people that society considers useless. You know, it's so, do you think it's okay to waste time with children? People with special needs? The elderly? People who don't have the resources that you do? See, like, for Jesus, that's kairos. Those are like golden moments. But we're so busy. You know, do we waste time in the right way? And finally, do you speak to the Lord about your time? You ask him for help. This week during staff meeting, Russell McCutcheon brought a devotion uh, from the great Howard Thurman. And I love the way Thurman asks God for wisdom about his time. This is what Thurman prays. Lord, I need your sense of time. Always I have an undying anxiety about things. Sometimes I am in a hurry to achieve my ends and I am completely without patience. It's hard for me to realize that some growth is slow and that all processes are not swift. I cannot always discriminate between what takes time to develop and what can be rushed because my sense of time is dulled. I measure things in terms of happenings. Oh, to understand the meaning of perspective, that I may do all things with a profound sense of leisure time. Then he says, I need thy sense of the future. Teach me to know that life is ever on the side of the future. Keep me alive to the forward look, the high hope, the onward surge. Let me not be frozen either by the past or by the present. Grant me, O patient Father, thy sense of the future, without which all life would be stricken and die. Amen. Man, I love that prayer. Are you asking the Lord about your time? Are you asking him to help you order your time, your future? See, we have to grow in discerning the time, in being able to say, what is mine to do for today? Because I, I get the sense that all of us, we have lists of all kinds of things we think we're supposed to be doing that are maybe not the things the Lord has told us to do. Is that yours to do? Is that yours to do today? See, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Finally, third, last here, choose joy. Were you surprised by this as we read this passage aloud together? His summary in verses 12 and 13 is just so bizarre to me. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. Now, isn't that bizarre? I mean, do you expect, don't you expect like this is a life is sucks and then you die passage, isn't it? Like, don't you expect, like, it's just meaningless, you know, just stop it. You know, instead it's like, go have a party. Go have a party. Isn't that bizarre? I mean, you, some of you may rep- recognize actually that phrase, eat and drink and be merry. You might know, know that one, right? Epicurious, first century philosopher, uh, this really popular in Jesus' day. Like, life is absurd, so party your way out, right? Like, you're gonna, it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Also by Dave Matthews, Tripping Billies, okay? Um, Now, see, there are two kinds of people then that laugh in the face of a disaster or a coming storm or calamity or death. Two kinds of people. One is a fool, Epicurus, the madman. (laughs) Ha ha, crazy laugh, right? Like, it's all going to die anyway. Have a party. Pour me another one. But the other one, the other person who laughs in the face of disaster, coming storm, 
is the sage. Why is the sage laughing? Because the sage knows where his refuge is, where her refuge is, and therefore can enjoy life, even in the face of the coming storm. Because they know where the safe harbor is. They know where their home is. Look, who are you? Are you the fool or are you the wise person? Are you the sage? You know, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the best thing that you can do is just laugh in the face of what's coming or give your life to the Lord of time. Like, you, you know, otherwise it's all meaningless. Might as well just laugh. Have a party because you're going to die anyway. Or give your life to Jesus Christ, the Lord of time, who will reorder your life, who will give you joy beyond measure, be, give you an eternity that you cannot even right now imagine. I mean, come to him. But let me ask you this. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you acting like an idiot today? Are you acting the fool? I mean, I don't mean this as a rebuke, but one thing I've noticed in our church, we are not so good at joy. Uh, worrying? Yeah, we're good at that. You know, um, productivity? Yes. Escape routes? Yes. Uh, getting stuff done? Yes. Complaining? Good at that. Yes. Um, pacifiers? Yep. But joy? Not so much. And I don't mean this as a rebuke. I mean this as an invitation. I mean this as an invitation. Look, Christian, listen to me. You know the Lord. You know that you have eternity, that the worries of this day are an eyelash blink in light of what's to come. The things that are bothering you today will be forgotten, right? Like what is to come is so incredible. Why are you worried? Why are you afraid? Why are you filled with regret in your life? Can you discern the Lord and can you discern the time and can you enjoy what he has for you? There is so much of this life to enjoy. Can I just remind you of a couple things? Good berries, peanut butter, ice cream. Man, right? A day without humidity in Raleigh. Right? Come on. One of those apples in the fall, like, you know, the really crisp ones. One of those, like, the, the, taking a puppy for a walk. A baby that falls asleep on you. That first day of spring, sticking your feet in the ocean. Man, homegrown tomato. That's about as good as it gets. Right? Like, you know, these are just gifts. They are just gifts from the Lord. They are like, this is just for you to enjoy. Can you enjoy it? Joy, brothers and sisters, it's not a, it's not a reaction. It is a choice. It takes work to enjoy your life. It takes work to look around in the face of like, man, there's a lot of hard coming on. There's a lot going down. There's a lot of sad in this world. And to find those places where you're like, yes, God is good. Not only has he given me eternity, he's given me good berries. He's given me little things that are just tastes of his goodness. Brothers and sisters, can we enjoy it? Can you just pause from all the being driven all the chronos of your life, just to enjoy this right now, right here, you little gifts, right? Americans have the watch. Ethiopians have the time. But brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternity with your king forever, whose joy will never end. Let that shape you. Let's pray together. Father, we need so much more of an understanding and a humility about our days and our calendars and our busyness.
We pray, Father, that you would meet us this day. Raise, Lord, our, our, raise our hopes, raise our eyes. Lord, help us to remember what is truer than true. That we are living in eternity, not in some future date, but in the now. Father, we pray that we live that out in Jesus', in Jesus name. Lord, we also pray for those who are here who don't know you. Father, I pray that they would be hungry and jealous of the good gifts that you have given your people. And that, Lord, that jealousy would drive them to you. Father, free us from frustration. Help us to live in your Kairos moment. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I'm so grateful.